Praise the Lord. I believe we're Facebook Live this morning. Is that true? Yes. If you want to take your smartphones out and uh, open up to Facebook, you can uh, go to our page, like it, and then share it on your space and uh, invite some others to be a part. It'd be great. want to invite our junior hires that are with us this morning to make their way to the junior high class. Uh, Joel, uh, one of our awesome junior high teachers, is right back there by the stairs. And then also want to uh, invite our ushers to come forward. Larry just raised the buckets. I would have just walked right past that one. And he says, hey, man, don't forget about this. Interestingly enough, as the ushers are coming at this time and we're preparing to receive this morning's tithes and offerings, you know, today we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture out of Exodus chapter 20, and in this particular portion of Scripture, it uh, reveals that uh, part where it says, thou shalt not steal. And uh, so often we think about stealing as a I think they're already passing the buckets. Father, bless this in Jesus' name. <laughs> Man, they're just on it. They're like, let's go. <laughs> Father, will you bless? Uh, and, but this idea, uh, thou shalt not steal. Malachi the prophet reminds us, uh, shall a man rob God? And the people ask, how have we robbed God? And God responds, in tithes and offerings, in tithes and offerings. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And uh, I think sometimes we look at the word of God and we think, well, what does that mean or does that apply to me? And I think in our New Testament mindset, we say, well, that was in the old covenant. Well, here's, here's the good news. And the hard news, it it really was in the Old Covenant. And it was really before the Old Covenant. It preceded the law. It was through the law. And Jesus affirmed it after the law. So the tithe applies to you and I now. It belongs to the Lord. And if we're holding on to the tithe, then we're stealing and we're robbing from God. So just want to encourage you. Let the Word of God have its perfect work. Can I get an amen? Yeah, it's good. He says, test me. Test me now in this. Try me and see if I won't. Open heaven, doors, and pour out such blessing that you will not be able to contain it. Anybody want to be a part of that? Praise the Lord. Not so we can tear down our small barns and build bigger barns and store up. No, it's so we can do more for the kingdom of God. More to bless those who are without. So that's just a preview, and then I'll rerun that in just a few minutes. (laughs) Thank you, ushers, for serving us. Um, It's good to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. Exodus chapter 20. We're looking at verses 12 through 17. And I really, this morning, because... the These last six commandments are dealing or pertaining to relationships 
on, if you will, this horizontal plane. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, this is the kind of stuff that's talking about you and me. And you don't have to get that all right. But I mean, just, hey, this is, this is you and me kind of stuff. It's us. And it's us living with us. And so I kind of just, in, I mean, I have four pages of notes. Can someone say amen? amen. <laughs> but I really, I really want us just to have a heart to heart. Because these six commandments are dealing with the heart. It's a heart thing. And I mentioned, and we've mentioned over the last several weeks, the first four of the ten, ten commandments. I wanted to say tender commandments because Ron Mel wrote a book and I think Tony Hedrick was telling me she was reading it, The Tender Commandments. And I thought, what a great picture that these commandments, we, we look at command and we think, oh, this is going to be kind of negative. It's not. These are, these are, this is God's love extended to us. They're tender. And the first four really are those uh, vertical relationship stuff. But all 10 of them are actually vertical. Does that make sense? The first four specifically, this is me and God. The, the next six are me and you kind of stuff, but they really are me and God still. Does that make sense? So they are applicable to our normal relationships with other human beings, but it really is a reflection of what God's working in me and in you. And so, a little heart to heart, I'll read the verses and then we're gonna, we'll just kind of walk and talk here, if you will. It says, honor, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord uh, your God is giving you. Pastor Matt, last week for Mother's Day, uh, shared a marvelous message from the Word of God. I encourage you, you can listen to it on SoundCloud. I believe the sermon is also on Still Facebook Live, so you can check that out if you weren't here. You, you would wanna do that. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Shall not covet. Father, in the next few minutes, I pray that your word uh, would be seen and understood and, Lord, uh, grasped to the level that we would seek to honor you in our living, to glorify your name because of what you have done for us. Um, just a little history, and then we'll, we'll kind of navigate into uh, Jesus bringing clarity to the law. Uh, the Israelites, they didn't obey 
the Word of God. Um, and I, I understand that, and I trust you do too. Because I think we have some commonalities there. Does that make sense? We don't always do very good in the obedience department, do we? Nod your heads with me if you understand what I'm talking Okay, good. I, I thought for a minute I might be in the only, my, my, I was the only man in that ship. I was going, why am I the pastor? <laughs> um, Israel, uh, they, they were told to work the land uh, for six years, but in the seventh year to give the land rest to not till the fields, to not work the fields, but just let the seeds that had fallen on the ground grow up and not work the land, but just that's, that's your deal. It's to give the land a Sabbath rest. And Israel for 490 years didn't do that. That's a long time to disobey, isn't it? That's a long time. And God said, I'm gonna get my Sabbath day's rest and through the prophet Jeremiah told the nation of Israel, you're gonna go into captivity for 70 years, 70 years. And so Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire came in and took Israel captive. Well, that was for a season. Then the Persian, after the 70 years, the Persians came in and it was Cyrus the king who came in and took Babylon really in a night, in one night without a war. And it was, uh, Josephus records for us in history that it was Daniel, the prophet, who had gone into captivity. The three, the three uh, prophets of the day were Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Jeremiah remained in Judah. Ezekiel was taken into captivity, into the land of Babylonia, but he was with the commoners. And Daniel, as a young boy, was taken into the inner courts of the Chaldeans and brought up in the royal house, if you will. And Daniel was advanced by God the Holy Spirit, but all that to say at the end of the 70 years when Cyrus came in, Josephus records for us that it was Daniel who brought the scroll of Isaiah to Cyrus and showed him in what is recorded for you and I in uh, Isaiah, the 45th chapter, revealed to him that his name was recorded by God some three different times, 170 years before Cyrus was even born. And he says, Cyrus, my anointed. And he calls him by name and he says, it is you who I call by name in advance. And so Cyrus comes in and says, hey, you're gonna go and build the temple and you're gonna go and rebuild the city. And so you know the story in the historical books of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra and that whole process is in this moving. Well, what happened during those days by way of history is they transitioned from the Hebrew language into the Chaldean language or uh, Aramaic. In fact, it wasn't until the Grecian kingdom that the whole world was being Hellenized by Alexander the Great, and that's where that Koine Greek part came in, somewhere around 325 B.C. And then we come to the first century when the Roman Empire had taken over and they were still speaking Aramaic. And so what happened was the law was being taught by the teachers of the law and they were the only ones who could read the Hebrew because Hebrew was no longer in use. Does that make sense? And that's why Jesus, when Jesus in Matthew chapter five, clarifying the law says, 
you have heard that it was said or you have been taught that it was said because the people couldn't read it. And Jesus was coming to bring clarity to the law because what was being taught wasn't what was actually intended by the law. In fact, what the teachers of the law in the first century and the centuries coming up to it, they were teaching that the law was strictly a physical law. It only pertained to this physical realm. That's why Pharisees would seek their righteousness by adhering to the letter of the law. Thou shalt not murder. I'm perfect. I've not taken up a sword and killed anyone. Therefore, according to the letter of the law, I'm perfect with that one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've not had an extramarital affair, so therefore I am perfect according to the law. And they had added to the Ten Commandments some additional 614 laws, and they were to the letter of the law. But what was missing and what Jesus did was brought clarity to the law. Look, the law was not intended to just be physical. The law is spiritual, and it's matters of the heart. And so Jesus brings some clarity. And I think it's, I think it's marvelous that Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to wipe the law out. In fact, he said, I came to fulfill the law. I think sometimes when we hear that, we're like, I like that. I'm not entirely certain I understand that. You and I know that the wages of sin is death. The scripture in the New Testament tells us that the law was a tutor pointing us to the fact that we need a Messiah because we can't live even according to the letter of the law, let alone its intent. And so in order to fulfill the law because when we miss the mark, it's sin. Therefore, the wages of sin is death. When Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, he came to die. Does that make sense? He came to fulfill. The law is going to require death because it's a sacrifice that needs to be made to cover and so Jesus came to atone. He came to fulfill. Now here's the beauty. In addition to the, all of that, he actually lived the law perfectly. The only man to have ever done that. Can I get an amen? And because he's done that, many of the law is written or many of the promises of God are written in that if-then statement. If you will do this, then God says, I will do this. And because none of us can fulfill any of the if statements or can't fulfill the if statements, then None of the then statements of God are ours. But because Jesus did, in Christ, all of them are ours. That was your opportunity to get really excited. <laughs> all of the promises are ours because Jesus fulfilled them all. That's good news. Okay. So let's just look at, let's just look at these six commandments. Honor your father and mother. 
At one point in time, and this is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 15, this is what it says. It says this. Uh, Jesus was approached by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're like challenging him. I love it. When the Pharisees and the scribes come up to Jesus, they're like, how is it possible that your disciples disobey the traditions of the elders? And Jesus is, can you just imagine Jesus is like, oh, here we go. This is going to be fun. <laughs> It says this, then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus. Now, these were from Jerusalem, too, right? So they're like pomp and circumstance. Here, here they come. They came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. This was like one of the 614 laws, right? I mean, you got to wash your hands before you eat he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Well, that's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. He said, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me, it's a gift to God. It's a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother, or father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Now let me stop there for a moment. Let me explain what's happening here. These fellas came and they said, hey, how come your fellas transgress? They sin against the tradition of the elders. Jesus says, huh, how come you transgress the commandment of God? Economy of scales, traditions of elders, commandment of God. He says, how is it that you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And they're like, what do you mean by that? That troubles us a little bit. You can't talk to us that way. We're from Jerusalem. And... He says, because you say whatever profit my parents would have received by me. He's revealing what the, the heart of the message is. The heart of the message is simply this. When our parents are older, it's our responsibility to take care of them. Can I get an amen, grandmas and grandpas? <laughs> Yes. They took care of us when we were little tykes. Now that we're able to provide and supply for ourselves and our parents may be beyond the age of supply or maybe I have a widowed mother and she is not able to provide for herself. It's the responsibility of the children to take care of mom and dad. And so the way the kids were getting out of it and the way the Pharisees and the scribes were gaining the younger crowd, well, why don't you make a donation to the temple and we'll call it Corbin 
And it would be as if you were giving your gift or that profit that would be for your parents. You're now offering it to the Lord. Therefore, you don't have to take care of your mom and dad. And it nullified the word of God. Now, you and I might look at that and just say, those dudes, they're shameful. <laughs> sneaky too, right? I mean, we think, man, that's pretty sneaky. And we look at it and we think, ah, even when we understand it, we go, well, that was dastardly. Why would they even do that? Be careful how quickly we might throw a stone at the Pharisees and the scribes before we evaluate our own lives. Where in our lives, where in our lives have we nullified the word of God? By some justifiable behavior over here. We say, well, I don't have to abide by that. <laughs> and by our own tradition, we nullify God's word. Does that make sense? We, should, we, we, we really should take spiritual stock. How many of us want all of the benefits of God's word? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> How many of us want all of the requirements of God's word? <laughs> and not so much. That's where we need a heart change. Because somehow we perceive that the requirements aren't our benefit. Because the requirements are love. And if we abide in those, well, guess what? We're going to be maximally blessed by God anyway. But our flesh is crying out and saying, no. We should take care of our families. We should not have to lean on the state of Oregon. We should not have to lean on the federal government. Not to say that we, I mean, those, there's benefits there and Social Security that has been paid into and all that stuff. Yes, 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 and pensions and so forth and so on. That's great. But we should not be neglecting our parents or our grandparents. Can I get a hearty amen? amen. Man, let's love them, okay? And let's love them all the way and honor them and respect them. Honor father and mother. Okay. And let's not nullify God's word in our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Good. Okay. Uh, commandment number six, you shall not murder. Jesus qualifies this. And this is a hard issue, guys. And so much comes and is initiated at the heart level. It's heart level. All this stuff is heart level stuff. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of, of the judgment. But I say to you, so this Jesus, this is what you heard. Now I'm gonna give you a little clarity. This is what it means. This is what it means. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in the danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Hatred begins in the heart. And man, 
we should pay close attention to that. And we disguise things like, well, I love them, but I don't like them. <laughs> what? No. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that? I love you, but I don't like you very much. No. No. Doesn't mean that we have to be bosom buddies with everybody. It's probably not going to work. But love should be genuine. He goes on to say, and, I, and this, is, this is the remedy. I think it was Chuck Smith who said it this way. In mathematics, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Not so in theology. The shortest distance between you and God is through an offended brother. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you. That's not even you. They have something against you. He says, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God's requiring something of us. Maybe you're here today and you're the one who has something against your brother. And if you know that, don't deny it, confess it, and go be reconciled. Get reconciled. Does that make sense? I mean, this, it's a heart deal because if you don't seek reconciliation, that will fester into hatred and hatred is murder. It's, it's a spiritual matter. It's not... I don't think anybody in this room has gone and taken, you know, a 45 and plucked someone and killed them. If you have, you should make sure you turn yourself in. <laughs> but some of us have stuff going on on the inside. We don't, we're like angry at someone, or mad, or bitter or I don't care to ever see them again. And that, is that how the kingdom of God is gonna be? Is that, I mean, in heaven, when we're walking on streets of gold and we're, oh, here comes Bob. <laughs> it is not gonna be that way in heaven. In fact, I think when we see Bob coming down, we're gonna be like, dude, high five! Because it's good. And we'll be in right relationship. Does that make sense? I don't think I've ever stood on this side of the room. I just want you guys to know, you look really good over here. I like you guys over here too. But this is kind of nice right here. Hi, Levi. Okay, let's go to number seven. Number seven. You should not commit adultery. Man... We live in a sex-crazed culture. Pornography is flagrant, rampant. They say the age of addiction to pornography 
is before double digits. Before the 10th birthday, children are being addicted to pornography. Our culture is overcharged, and it's tragic. Jesus clarifies, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's an issue or a matter of the heart. And again, Jesus is pointing out guilt. The law reveals to me that I'm guilty and I'm deserving of the death. And this is where my response to what Jesus has done for me should be absolutely magnanimous because he has delivered me, as Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, that's exciting. We can bring... With the power of God, we can bring every thought captive. My good brother Matt Jordan this morning shared uh, a, little, a, little, a little code. Uh, if they've not reported back within 10 minutes of being uh, away from their uh, patrol car, the dispatcher comes in on the ear and says, are you 10-4? Are you good? And they do the little thing back. You know, that cool thing that police officers do, they push, that, push the button. I'm 10 4. I'm good. And then he said, and I realized that 10 4 was 2 Corinthians 10 4 about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's a 10 4. That's a 10 4. Right. And we can under the power of God. So we can walk with renew, renewed minds. We can walk with bringing thoughts captive. Men and women, we do not have to be plagued by this oversexed culture. We are not thermometers that measure the climate. We're thermostats in the kingdom of God, and we change the environment. Can I get an amen? amen. If this is an area that you struggle, don't deny it, confess it, and ask the Lord for help, power, Get into some accountability. Get into some accountability. If you're unprotected on your internet at any level, whether it's a smartphone, a computer, a desktop, wherever it is, if you're not protected, get protected. It's free. It's free. Creates all kinds of accountability. Wives and husbands, if your home is not safe, then your children have access you can be the stopgate there. Have conversation. I know in my home we had conversation from an, a very early age. Very early. Because I did not want my young men growing up in my home, let alone my daughter, but the young men in my home, I did not want them growing up with the same kind of guilt and shame that I had. And we didn't have the internet when I was a kid. Right? 
That's very true. I had a dial-up phone <laughs> attached to a wall. Listen, adultery is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a spiritual matter. Number eight, you shall not steal. Jesus doesn't, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, he doesn't necessarily address immediately this whole steal issue, but I, he, he says a couple of things that are interesting. Now, verses 40, and 40, 40 through 42, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak also. More. He says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go two. Back in those days, Roman guards could, if you were walking down the street, minding your own business, doing your deal, a Roman soldier that was, if he was walking a different direction and he was crossing your path, he could tap you, he could say, hey, carry my backpack and my goods. And you'd have to turn around and carry his stuff one mile. And Jesus is saying, don't just go one mile, go two. Go two. The theme here is generosity. Generosity. Have you discovered in your walk with God that God is a generous God? It's his character, it's his nature, it's who he is. And he's inviting us into that arena. How cool is that? Anybody here want to be more generous? Just raise your hand if you want to be more generous. All right. Man, there's about... 36 of us. <laughs> no, we want, it. we want generosity working in our lives. And when it comes to the area of commerce or finance or money, that probably a lot of us would say, ah, if I didn't have debt or more commitment than I do resource, I'd probably be more generous. Well, there's a lesson there. Don't overextend yourself. Use cash. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. Don't become slave to something or things. He says, give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. Don't turn away. And I mentioned that not only are these six on this horizontal relationship stuff, but they really are all in this vertical as well. Particularly this one, thou shalt not steal, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Who does the tithe belong to? God. What does a tithe represent? First fruits. What does a tithe represent? 10%. 10%. Let me help you with this. It means if you make, if your household income is $50,000 in a year, then your tithe is 5,000. That's God's. And if you're holding on to that, you're stealing. It's God's. Those aren't my words, those are his. I don't, you, you know, if you've attended this church for the last 14 years, you know I don't talk about money. I don't talk about your money. But this isn't your money. So I can talk about it with liberty. 
if you make in your combined income in your house 70,000, 100,000, do the simple math. You say, well, the church doesn't need my money. I, that's fine. Maybe it doesn't. But that doesn't mean that you're null and void of that command or that principle, right? Whether it's needed or not, that's, that's a moot point. It's obedience. It has to do with you. What are you gonna do with what has been entrusted to you that's not yours in the first place? Does that make sense? Yes. Is that good? Yes. That's some good preaching, Pastor Dave. <laughs> it's simple. I can tell you in my own life, my wife and I have tithed since we got married. I think, I think we tithed in all those early years, I think we did, didn't we? I mean, it was, we probably still have the records. <laughs> we, just, we just made it a priority. Uh, was it easy? No. Have we discovered that it's way better? Yes. Yes. I mean, God's resources are so far beyond ours. We're so limited in our thinking, and yet God can do with 90% way more than we can do with 100%. So I'm gonna just encourage you that way. Uh, you should read Malachi chapter three. It's, it's, it's worthwhile. It's healthy. I won't read it this morning to you. Okay, number nine. You shall not bear false witness. You shouldn't bear false witness. Now, Jesus does make some clarity on this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. I, I would liken that into, if Ed and I had an oath between each other, we made a promise and a commitment to one another that I would uphold my end of the bargain and he would uphold his end of the bargain as unto the Lord. Does that make sense? Remember, the scripture says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. So if you make a commitment to a brother or a sister, perform that oath as unto the Lord. And let me, let me say it this way, guys. This is so important. This is, please understand. Sometimes people can get out of something legally. but it doesn't mean you should. Because the moment you begin to navigate over here, it's kind of the letter of the law kind of stuff, and that's pharisaical in so many ways because the heart of the matter is, I said I was gonna do this, and that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Simple. And he says this, anything beyond that, is from the evil one. Ouch. Ouch. Hey, let me come back real quick to number eight. Remember those verses in Matthew chapter five, verses 40 through 42. And remember that the whole theme there is generosity. It's generosity. I wanna say generosity is the heartbeat that God wants all of his children operating, because it's his character. His character made manifest in us, right? Does that make sense? Okay, that just that, I wanna make sure that resonates. Okay, so number nine. 
Let me read these. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, anybody here ever try and justify your behavior to get out of something and you use like some kind of argumentation? Just raise your, raise your hand so I'm not the only one who feels alone. Can I just, can I just say that we, that we should not be doing that? Even to the place where if what I've committed to brings uh, not, not harm, but it costs me something, do it. Yeah, do it. Do it, right? We gotta do what we say. Yes, yes, no, no. Bless you. Number 10. Well, I said this was a heart-to-heart so we can communicate with one another. You shall not covet. Qualifies your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, servants, male or female, his ox or his donkey. Anybody here drive by a farm and see a donkey on the other side of the fence say, man. They see that donkey in my yard. <laughs> yes. Come on. Well, I will say I have driven by a few houses and I've seen a couple rams in the driveway and I thought, I probably would look pretty good behind the wheel <laughs> in that ramp. No. All right. Covetousness. Interesting conversation Jesus has with a member in the crowd in Luke chapter 12. It says, one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said, sir or man, who made me judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, so then he responds to the crowd, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's not wrong to have stuff, but one ought to recognize that your life does not consist of what you have. And so, covetousness is one of those, I mean, three sins in the New Testament, specifically, we are exhorted to flee. Flee idolatry, which Paul tells us covetousness is idolatry. Flee idolatry, flee fornication, and flee covetousness. What's the remedy to covetousness? This is beautiful. I love this. It's so simple. Contentment. Contentment. Paul says, I've learned the secret. Whether I am in a mass or a base. And Paul was. He had it all from the spectrum. Here's a guy who was the top of the pharisaical class, and here was the guy who was sitting in a prison with nothing. He knew. 
He said, I've learned the secret to be content. To be content. We find our value not in the things that we possess. We find our value in the Lord. In the Lord. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. And he places the value on us. He said, I love you so much that I am going to die in your place. I value you above my life. He died for us. That's powerful. We could, we could saturate in that, and guess what? We will for eternity. We don't need th this world and the things of this world, the things of this world, they're passing away. You and I, we're here but for a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Let's make that little dash between the two dates on a tombstone be valuable for the kingdom of God, not for our own kingdoms. Does that make sense? Life doesn't consist in the possessions. What does it Get, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. Now, we're going to conclude with this, and I know it's only about 11.05. <laughs> I changed the, my time on my phone so I wouldn't feel bad. Uh, <laughs> Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here right now. It's whether or not we're going to see it. If we'll open our eyes, the words of Jesus are actually very delightful. And we would want those working in us. I want to I encourage everyone here today. The, these kingdom laws, commandments, are a loving commandment for each one of us. And if we would seek to live them even as Jesus has clarified them for us, our lives are going to be fruitful bountiful, joyful, and we'll have, we'll have this nearness, if you will, in our relationship with the Lord because we will be living to honor the Lord. And so let's honor the Lord. Now, aren't you thankful? Anybody here ever missed the mark? Yeah, everybody understand sin is an archery term. How many of you here are good with a bow and arrow? Okay, about three of you. There's a couple hunters in here, <laughs> and maybe an avid just like I like shooting darts. Anyway, I can tell you, I remember what it was like. I, when, I was, when I was a kid, there was a group of young men in my neighborhood that were Boy Scouts. But in my neighborhood or in my home, my dad signed us up not for Boy Scouts, but for, are you ready for this? Indian Guides. 
Indian guides. Anybody ever hear, heard of Indian guides? That was a big deal back in the day. And we got to make leather vests, and we got to have bows and arrows. And I remember trying to shoot the arrow at the little target on the hay bale. As a kid, trying to keep the tip of the arrow, I mean, I would be holding on to the back end, and the arrow would be going like this. I would be very concerned if I was to the left of me. Because <laughs> that thing, and it was just spooky where it might go. But finally, when I got it on my thumb, I'd just let go as quick as I could. And the thing would just go, zing, and it would go way over into the blackberry bushes. <laughs> like, take the bow away from Morris. <laughs> Dangerous, right? And oh, In archery in the day, when you missed the target, it was called sin. You missed the mark. And you would be known as a sinner. We're all missing the mark. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't miss the mark? He hit it. And he keeps on hitting it. So it's not performance-based for you and I. Our, we're, our, our performance is based in Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? So our response is to the Lord out of love and gratitude. Lord, I want to live like you so that you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. Does that make sense? It is working out our salvation it's working out what God's working in. But thanks be to God, when I miss the mark, he's got me covered. I've been justified. God sees you, God sees me, just if I'd never sinned. Never miss the mark. Thanks be to God. That's Jesus. I want to be living in response to that. So I want to, Seek, and I know you want to seek to honor the Lord in your living. Does that make sense? So I look at these commandments. They're not abolished. Not a single jot nor tittle will be removed from the law. Jesus said these, these principles, just because I'm in the new covenant doesn't mean that these principles don't apply. Jesus simply took the 10 and said, let me help you. I'm gonna narrow it down to two. Love God heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophet hangs on these. If you get those two right, you're covering all 10. You got your bases covered. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm so thankful that Jesus made it a little clearer for us. We have an opportunity. Listen, when we love this way, people will see us in different light. Those that are on the outside, those that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, they'll see something different in you and me. And there will be that desire. I asked a question this last week while we were driving in the car with a couple of our interns in the car. And I said, you know, what about your life? What about your marriage that is attractive to someone from the outside that would say, man, there's something special about their marriage? where someone who's married and doesn't know Christ would say, I want what you have. 
What is it about that marriage? Because a marriage is a reflection of a relationship that God has with his children. What is it about my life that is an attraction to those who are on the outside who don't know Jesus yet? What about your life? Does your life say, Jesus rules and reigns, and he's rocking it, and so people on the outside are going, what do you have that I don't have? How many of us want that in our lives? Can, can I get an amen? Yeah. Where people, people are like, they, they come, they'll come up to you privately and say, what is it that makes you tick? Why are you so different? And that's when we get to say, well, it's because I went to Portland State University and I have a psychology degree. Hallelujah. <laughs> no. We say, it's because Jesus has made a difference in my life and he'll make the same difference in your life. And I got these things that are working out in my life and I'm discovering that these are making a difference daily. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Will you stand with me this morning? Let's stand. Let's ask God to empower us. In fact, if you're a candidate, if you're a candidate this morning, just for more of that working in your life, you want that generosity thing, you want that love thing and not anger or malice or hatred. You just want, I want the love of God working more in my life. I want the character of God working more in my life. And you just say, I'm a candidate for the Holy Spirit to fill this earthen vessel with more of him and less of me. We could be like John the Baptist and simply say, I must decrease, he must increase. If that's you and you just want more of God, just more of God, this is like a universal altar response here, right? <laughs> and every hand went up. <laughs> Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You love us with an everlasting love, and these are tender commandments. So thankful for my brother Ron Mel with that descriptive word, the tender commandments. God, you love us, and you have given us these commandments for our good, our benefit. And so, Father, we say, will you fill these earthen vessels Will you pour out your spirit fresh in us? We just, more of you. We want more of you, God. More of your character. More of your kindness. More of your goodness. More of your grace. More of your mercy. More of your generosity. More of you. Your power and your love in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd help us just to empty these earthen vessels of self, our egos, our covetousness, our anger, all of the things that are just the work of the flesh in us. Lord, will you just help us to kind of tip these earthen vessels over and pour all that stuff out, turning it right side up and being available for more of God, more of God in my life. Lord, we don't want to nullify your word in any area of our lives. So if there's areas of our lives where we've been nullifying, God, will you help us not to do that? That we would see the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the flesh. The one that this world that is ruled and reigned presently 
by Satan himself. He has the kingdoms. We're not subject to those. We're subject to yours. Help us to live there, God. Help us to live there. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask your benediction this day and that you would be glorified in our lives. And may as we go out into your mission field, may we be salt and may we be light for your glory and for your namesake, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen.